All those who are holding tickets outside will get in as fast as they can. I'm speaking not to you, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm speaking to the crowd on the outside who seem to be standing rather reluctant to come in, and we're going to start this very soon. What does Gigi, Titanic, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Slumdog Millionaire, and Going My Way have in common? Uh, they all star Bing Crosby? Nope. Oh, man. Nope. Definitely wrong. <laughs> uh, they all did win Best Picture, but there's something else about them. Do you know that, John? It is involving music? It is involving music here. So close. How about the best song? Yeah, it is the best wow. song. Yeah. So these five Best Picture winners are the only five to win Best Song as well, which is a pretty interesting group considering that we don't have something like the sound of music on there we don't have my fair lady so you know so many classic more classic musicals even west side story but yet these are the five that are there and honestly i wouldn't even really consider any of them really musicals you know going my way doesn't really have that kind of musical aspect gg some people consider a musical although when we get there i have a lot to say about that as a quote-unquote musical uh yeah so it's certainly an interesting thing that when a film wins best song it can create a whole you know, zeitgeist, a whole phenomenon going on just because of how popular the song can be. And we've seen that more recently with stuff like Shallow from A Star Is Born, where that can just really overtake the Oscar ceremony. Uh, so to you, John, what does the best song category mean for any film that you're watching? Well, at first, you just have to define the song itself, right? And I would assume that the song should have some greater meaning over to the film entirely, right? Some song that should like express maybe how the character is feeling, like the main character or protagonist, or generally the kind of tone in the entire picture itself. But when it's compared to like an actual best winner to then win best song, since it's so limited, I mean, these four films don't really like match up in any way. It's kind of odd because it's not like every song is really a component. I would say like starting in the 90s with Titanic, you have My Heart Will Go On and it's been a while since I've seen the, the Titanic and I, I think it's in the actual film, but the majority of these songs are like credit songs, right? They're like an ending track to kind of like give your impression over the film. So I feel like it's one of those categories that's just given more so to the artist nowadays than the actual film and how that song relates to the film. So it's kind of always been a category that's been thrown away for me and, and I just never really cared too much about it. And I've said this before that I just don't really think this category really even should be in the Academy Awards or really mentioned. It's interesting to have a mention of a best song, but I think in its entirety, you should be discussing the film score or the entire soundtrack to a film, not just one song, because I think it just it just minimizes something in a film to such a small, minuscule degree that it just it it makes it more so about the artist than I think than it does about the film or how that song kind of plays into the film. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that is a little bit more common. Uh, you know, in today's world, you know, in the past, there's been, you know, some like rockers who have won. You've had Bruce Springsteen win. You've had, pretty sure Bob Dylan has won an Oscar for uh, best song. And then more, most recently we had Lady Gaga winning. And there's also stuff like Let It Go, where that's just like a really popular song. And so really any song that was going up against that that year wasn't going to win just because of how popular it was. But that's not necessarily meaning... I mean, it was because it was Frozen, but if that was just another Disney movie, it probably wouldn't be as popular as that one was. So it kind of can depend on how popular the movie is, how well-known the artist is. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't necessarily 
belong. And that's just because it's music versus what a movie is. And a movie doesn't have to always have music in it to really make it good or, or make that story pop. Uh, but it can add a little bit more. And uh, I think that's like, I think honestly, that's what makes it a fun category to talk about is because what can it add to it? And when you look at the five movies that I mentioned, I would say the Lord of the Rings one adds to it. My heart will go on for Titanic adds to it as well. Then the other ones like for Slumdog, GG, and then going my way, they're sort of a part of it, but they're also just kind of like there. And it just, you know, it doesn't really add like too much to the story. Uh, we can get more into like swinging on a star when we get into more of the discussion, but it just felt right to talk about best song. And there's this unique statistic that only five of the best picture winners have won best song. And, and out of those fives, none of them are really musicals. What you would expect to be the five that would have it. Yeah, exactly. And to me, the best part of the best song category is the actual award show because it gives like each artist, you get like a nice kind of musical performance by each of these artists. And it kind of breaks up the show uh, throughout the night that you're watching it and it's a cool kind of nod to, to let the performance kind of actually show and you see it live so that's honestly my favorite part which is a little odd because it's not really about the film itself but that's kind of the issue I have with best song especially in the modern day where it's just kind of more of a vehicle when you know you have like a film that's going to have some prestige on it a lot of these songs are added after the fact to get like a popular artist like our most recent from this year's Oscars was her and she's you know been a very popular R&B artist in the past like four or five years and it just her song is kind of in reference to the film itself but it still feels very like detached and not really about the film itself so it's an interesting one but anyone listening I'm curious feel free to reach out to us tell us what you think about the best song category yeah and I think you should let us know what you think of our question and that question is is Go My Way worthy of the Best Picture Award of 1944? Going My Way When young Father O'Malley arrives at St. Dominic's, old Father Fitzgibbons doesn't think much of the church's newest member. Father Charles Chuck O'Malley an incoming priest from East St. Louis is transferred to St. Dominic's Church in New York City. On his first day, his unconventional style gets him into a series of mishaps. His informal appearance and attitude make a poor impression with the elder pastor, Father Fitzgibbon. The very traditional Fitzgibbon is further put off by O'Malley's recreational habits, particularly his golf playing, and his friendship with the even more casual Father Timmy O'Dowd. O'Malley privately informs O'Dowd that he was sent by the bishop to take charge of the affairs of the parish but that Fitzgibbon is to remain a pastor. To spare Fitzgibbon's feelings, O'Malley acts as if he is simply an assistant. The difference between O'Malley and Fitzgibbon's styles is openly apparent as they deal with the events like a parishioner being evicted and a young woman named Carol James having run away from home. The most consequential difference arises in their handling of the youth of the church, many of whom are consistently getting in trouble with the law in a gang led by Tony Scaponi. Fitzgibbon is inclined to look the other way, siding with the boys because of their frequent church attendance. O'Malley seeks to make inroads into the boys' lives, befriending Scaponi and eventually convincing the boys to become a church choir. The noise of the practicing choir annoys Fitzgibbon, who goes to the bishop and asks for O'Malley to be transferred away. In the course of the conversation, Fitzgibbon infers the bishop's intention to put O'Malley in charge of the parish. To avoid an uncomfortable situation, Fitzgibbon asks the bishop to put O'Malley in charge and then... Resigned to his fate, he informs O'Malley of his new role. A distressed Fitzgibbons runs away, returning late that night, 
O'Malley puts the older priest to bed and the two begin to bond. They discuss Fitzgibbon's long put off desire to go to Ireland to see his mother, now over 90 years old. O'Malley puts Fitzgibbons to sleep with an Irish lullaby, Tu Ralu Ralu. O'Malley runs into Jenny Tuffle, an old girlfriend whom he left to join the priesthood. Jenny now has a successful career with the Metropolitan Opera, performing under the stage name Genevieve Linden. As she prepares to go on stage as the lead in a performance of Carmen, the two discuss their past, and she learns that her world travels of a previous opera company caused her to miss his letter explaining he had entered the priesthood. O'Malley next pays a visit to Carol, who is now suspected of living in sin with Ted Haynes Jr., the son of a church's mortgage holder. O'Malley describes to the young couple his calling in life to go his way, which to him means to follow the joyous side of religion. He sings them the song, Going My Way, which he wrote on this theme. Jenny visits O'Malley at the church, sees the boys' choir, and reads the sheet music of Going My Way. She, O'Malley, and O'Dowd devise a plan to rent out the Metropolitan, have the choir perform it with a full orchestra, then sell the rights to the song, saving the church from its financial woes. When Max Dolan, the music executive, brought on to hear the song does not believe it will sell, the choir decides to make the most of its opportunity on the grand stage and sings Swinging on a Star. The executive overhears and decides to buy it, providing enough money to pay off the church mortgage. With everything settled, O'Malley is transferred to a new assignment. O'Dowd will be Fitzgibbon's new assistant, with Tony Scaponi in charge of the choir. However, the church is damaged in a massive fire. On Christmas Eve, parishioners gather in a temporary church for a mass that also serves as O'Malley's farewell. As a going-away present, O'Malley is sent for Fitzgibbon's mother from Ireland. As mother and son embrace for the first time in 45 years, the choir sings Tu Ralu Ralu, as Father O'Malley quietly slips away into the night. Going My Way starred Bing Crosby as Father Chuck O'Malley, Barry Fitzgerald as Father Fitzgibbon, Frank McHugh as Father Timothy O'Dowd, James Brown as Ted Haynes Jr., Gene Lockhart as Ted Haynes Sr., Gene Heather as Carol James, and Reese Stevens as Genevieve Linden. Going My Way is directed by Leo McCary. Written by Frank Butler and Frank Cavett, based on the story by Leo McCary. Produced by Leo McCary with an executive producer, Buddy G. Da Silva. Music by Robert Emmett Dolan. Cinematography by Lionel Linden and John F. Seitz. Film editing by Leroy Stone. And art direction by Hans Dreer and William Flannery. This road leads to Rainbowville, going my way. So going my way, John, the Bing Crosby vehicle to show off all of his wonderful skills, his beautiful face, his uh, suave personality, and just good nature itself. That's honestly what this movie is. It's just to showcase Bing Crosby. Do you think he has a beautiful face? Yeah, he's a nice looking face. Yeah, I think he's a nice looking face, but he's not like the classic leading handsome man face that I think we've seen. Man face? What's a man face? A man's face. A man's okay. face. <laughs> I but don't know. I mean, I he's maybe boyish to me in a way. He can be, but that's also like I think that's his charm. I did, it's definitely his charm. I love I Bing Crosby. I'm just yeah. saying that like he's not like that sharp cutted like well, he's not a stubble. Sex icon. No, he's not, but people, I think, still considered him as a very sexualized character in a, in, a, in a way, you know? 
I mean, I think most leading men were with the way they womanize and the way they kind of lead the film that way. But this is a very different film because yeah. he's a priest, so they kind of dabble in that womanizing, but without like actually showing it firsthand. Yeah, and you mentioned the priest thing. And that's probably a great place to really start out and talk about this film. It's just the story idea and the concept itself and using priests to, to tell a story, to have these characters act in and perform in, and yet it's not a very religious film. It just, it just like is like a vignette of like different stories to kind of basically say like, oh, look at Father O'Malley. He's this great, nice person. But then you also put yourself into a box where you have a character like Bing Crosby, but you can't add that female appeal that was working for that time. You really do limit yourself to what you can do with it and what kind of character O'Malley can be for the story itself. And I feel like they set up the film in a way where you have this new priest coming in to a church that uh, Father Fitzgibbons, played by Barry Fitzgerald, has been there for, what is it, 45 years, right? About 50 years. So he's coming in and he's kind of a fish out of water and you're setting it up with all this fun comedy and, and how this new father has such a different way of going about like his life and, and communicating with the like, New York community. But... I feel like they don't dive deep enough into that. You know, there's hints of it here and there where they have really kind of integral moments together where they kind of discuss, but they don't really dive deep into religion. And it seems more that the film just wants to focus on Bing Crosby, show off his, his, you know, his great ability to come up with these songs and to sing and kind of bring joy amongst the community. But it kind of lacks on what I think is the best part, which is Father Fitzgibbon and Father O'Malley's relationship. Yeah, I think that that like the film starts out where you're like, okay, we're going to see a lot of back and forth between the two. And we get that more at the beginning, but then it does become more about, oh, O'Malley's this nice person. O'Malley is going to talk to this runaway. O'Malley is going to help the kids, and he's going to make a choir out of it. O'Malley plays with the kids in, in uh, with baseball. He takes them to baseball games. And so he's just like a really all-around like good, nice guy, but it doesn't – there's no like true conflict because – like Fitzgibbon is sort of just okay with him being there. You would expect him to be like this crank, cranky old man, but he's not. He's pretty with it. He, I wouldn't say that he's naive to everything that's going on. I don't think people really take advantage of him. I just think he's like, yeah, I'm just the old priest around here. And, you know, I just think that how the things were I've been doing for 45 years is, is what's really going to work out, you know, for the parish. And ultimately, like O'Malley's supposed to come in to do what? To change that around to get more money to the church to you know build it up it seems like a nice church and it seems like it has enough of people going to it but i guess people think that because fitzgibbon is older that he doesn't necessarily have the same umph you know that o'malley does have yeah they don't really fully explain it it feels like fitzgibbon's uh, while he's taking really good care of the church and he loves his garden and all the birds in the water fountain he just doesn't seem like he's diving deep into like the community aspect which it seems like the higher-ups in the church are kind of want, but they don't really directly s express that. It's just kind of taken from how we see the events of the film unfold with how O'Malley is very kind to the young kids, and, you know, instead of treating them as a gang, he treats them as young kids and, you know, brings them together to build a chorus, which to Fitzgibbons is much... It's It just seems unnecessary to him. It seems like that's not the way he wants to, like, show and, and, and live a religious life through... The community, he feels like it's just this is his destination. He's kind of stuck in his ways. Not that he's doing anything bad, but he's just kind of not doing enough. Yeah, he's not doing enough to like help the church and and save it. So yeah, so the you expect the conflict to be focused on that, which 
It's a little bit at the beginning, you know, when uh, when O'Malley first comes in and first meets Fitzgibbon. O'Malley got uh, he was soaked on the road, so he wasn't wearing his uh, priest uniform. Do priests have uniforms? Get up. Yeah, I would call it a uniform. Uniform. Yeah, yeah uh, robes maybe is the more appropriate thing. But it's like a monk. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know the best way to call it. But anyway, so he's not wearing his priest clothing, and he's wearing a, a St. Louis Browns uh, getup. And O'Malley's like horrified by this. And like you, so then you expect, okay, like it's going to be this new age versus old age, but then that doesn't really happen. And then the conflict is sort of resolved in the middle of the film when Owen uh, Fitzgibbon goes to the bishop and the bishop basically tells him, you know, which we actually don't even get to see. It's all told through a, a pretty good monologue by Fitzgibbon that, yeah, like, you know, O'Malley's there and, and, and O'Malley's going to stick around. And so Fitzgibbon kind of resigns to that fact and he's okay with it. And then the rest of the movie kind of just happens in those little vignette stories. And uh, it doesn't, you know, there's not like more developed out of that where you expect the main conflict to be. It's like there for a scene or two, sort of resolved in the middle. And then it doesn't really matter in the end. But the cool thing I did want to mention about the St. Louis Browns, though. So St. Louis Browns, they used to, they're basically what the Baltimore Orioles are now. And so that year, the St. Louis Browns, the only time they ever reached the World Series in 1944 and their entire existence uh, as the St. Louis Browns. Uh, but they lost in the World Series to the St. Louis Cardinals. So something about St. Louis in this movie really getting a lot of love, uh, which is just like a fun little quirky thing. And honestly, that's just probably the best way to jump and talk about Bing Crosby is that he's just a fun, quirky character. So to you, like when you watch uh, O'Malley and his character and interact with everything else, like what's the biggest thing that jumps out to you? And also, is there something that you maybe don't like about him in general? The biggest thing that jumps out to me first, obviously, he has some singing performances throughout this. And, you know, it's just his, his charisma, his ability to charm literally anyone on screen. Eventually, he charms Father Fitzgibbon, who's kind of his biggest challenge, his biggest obstacle in the film. But he just brings a joy to everyone's life. You know, when Carol's is introduced to the film, she's kind of like a lost teenager just out of high school, running away from home. And he, like, brings a joy to her through music. So it's clear that Bing Crosby is connected to this character in some way. It seemed like uh, with the directing style from McCary, it was kind of loose and they were adapting as they went along. And it seemed like a lot of Bing Crosby came into the character. It's very much him playing himself in, in a way where he's fun, lighthearted. And he's really endearing as this young priest who's kind of disturbing Fitzgibbon's way of life. And I really enjoyed that. If I were to say if there's one specific part or of his character, or really his character is his kind of relationship with women. I feel like his relationship with Carol, while it seems sweet at first, I get like hints of like he's attracted to her. Yeah, in it a does way. seem like he's kind yeah, of Yeah, and she's like this 18-year-old girl and he's this like older priest and... He's like feels so bad for her and he wants to give her money while Fitzgibbons just like doesn't understand what why he would do that. Like he doesn't understand how that would help this woman and like she shouldn't be helped. She's running away from home. He's very old school and and doesn't understand it. But I think I don't know if it's been Crosby's performance, how he was directed, but he feels very flirtatious with like every woman that he meets in this film. Yeah, I think that's the issue that I was saying before about like you put yourself in this box of of being priests is that you eliminate the romance and what if you know i was thinking about this what if like o'malley wasn't a priest necessarily but he was just like a new guy to the town and maybe wasn't even in new york city it was a smaller town and then he's like just a guy and he helps the church and all that and then you can add that love interest and still get all these like themes of 
of being good, of enjoying life, of going your own way and building your own legacy. But that doesn't really, it, it stopped because of using the priest as the parameters for this film and for the story structure. And so, yeah, so, you know, you do have those weird moments when all of a sudden Bing Crosby is being flirtatious to this, uh, to Carol's ca- to Carol's character. And it just, it's very odd. It's, and, it, and it's a very odd choice to make in general. And then we also have later in the film his relationship to Genevieve Linden, who is this character who he previously had a relationship with. They don't really tell us much. There's this communication between the two that he would constantly send letters to her. And then at a certain point, he just stopped responding, stopped sending letters. So it's kind of under the impression that he became a priest. They kind of had to stop communicating. There was probably some love or connection that they shared the two together. But it's very unclear. And and that like un... It, the way it's kind of shown is so uncertain that it just it becomes uninteresting where it's like that is such an interesting aspect to bring into a character, especially a Catholic priest who can't be married and is kind of sin, like a sin to even talk about like previous relationships, especially when they're sexual. So when you bring in this character, it doesn't really add much to the film. It seems like it's going to be, oh, this is going to be a big re- revelation. Like maybe he's kind of conflicted and he's torn between like, Maybe he really still loves this woman and maybe like that Catholicism is kind of like that the head that's butting together with his love, but it's not. It's just like a kind of cool moment. So you could bring in a, a famous singer and they could have a little song together and dance and like every moment that this film could take a turn and, and have a lot of drama added to it. It just doesn't. It just, you know, we can just stick to like the kind of more fun screwball aspect of it and that's something that i wanted to bring up is what what would you like define this like what genre would you call this movie yeah I, I think it's it so it's not a musical like i said in the beginning it's definitely not a musical i guess it is a little bit like a screwball comedy but it's not that screwball comedy that it's not wacky it's know? not that it's not like a you can't take it with you or uh or it happened one night or really any frank capper thing it's it's not that but it, i guess it tries to in tries to get that feel for it with the Fitzgibbon and O'Malley character and, and that relationship. But again, like that doesn't get featured enough. I feel like just because of the way they tell the story, which is more vignette, like, and like they'll have Fitzgibbon come in at the end of a scene to help, like with the Carol scene, like you had, uh, you had O'Malley and Carol interacting and all that, but then Fitzgibbon comes in at the end, you know, and then he, then Fitzgibbon gets kind of lost halfway through the film you know, after they get the whole like revelation, because then it just becomes about saving the church, but he doesn't really get to be involved in that process. It's more of the, the church choir and, and Bing Crosby's character. So yeah, I, I don't know. There's really no specific genre. There's like, it's not like a drama. It's not, a you know, like a soap opera. It's not a musical. I, I don't know. Like what, what would you say though? Like what, like how could you, yeah, I guess I would call it a screwball comedy. I mean, it, it would be a stretch to call this like a dramedy because this film doesn't really want to pull any like dramatic strings. Yeah. Like, as, like I was saying, as soon as it, tr- as it seems like it's about to, it just kind of pulls back. And probably the most dramatic thing that happens in this film is the fire, right? Which yeah. you would expect to be like the climax of the second act. Like that's what like really destroys everything. Maybe messes up the relationship that the two fathers have built together, but it doesn't. It's the last 15 minutes of the film. It's kind of shown in one shot, which is one of the most interesting shots to me. I think probably this kind of like dolly into both of the father's faces as they see the church is on fire. And it's like, oh my God, it's so dramatic. Like, both of their homes like one just became like really integral to the church and this one other father Fitzgibbons has been like his home for almost 50 years like this is horrifying this is so tragic 
But then it's solved and wrapped up so quickly that it's not really very dramatic anymore. That all the kind of like blood that could have been pumped into it, that could have drawn up and, and brought so much drama to it, it just doesn't seem like the film wants to focus on it. It's like, okay, no, let's let's bring it back to music so Crosby can show another good song and really just show off his great voice and personality, which is fine to a degree, but it just feels wrong in the way that they are almost yeah. setting up this film to be something else but it, it isn't again like he's really great like i i don't find the performances in this film to be bad i just find the story just to be incomplete all the vignette style like simmering or like the great zigfield where things just happen it's kind of like pieced together and there's sort of a story there but it's not a complete story there's not this consistent storyline it's it's like 10 different storylines they try to just have happen but they don't really interweave too well but it's just like kind of like a messy and, and loose plot again, just so it can show off Bing Crosby show can show off, show off Barry Fitzgibbon and like that relationship. You know, I wish I could call it like more of like a buddy cop kind of a thing just cause they are really good together. And I think like a, an O'Malley Fitzgibbon like movie series would be phenomenal. I think that actually be kind of funny, but it, they don't do that. And it just doesn't really like mesh together like too well at the end, even though it was pretty popular for its time. Definitely. And you mentioned Barry Fitzgerald as Father Fitzgibbon, and he's probably my favorite part of the film. He's this really sincere and genuine man who really is, he's kind of stuck in his ways, but his ways aren't bad. He just thinks that like, this is the way to honor his community by have this beautiful kind of almost perfect picturesque church where he really honors the kind of green, the little garden in his backyard where he loves the birds and his animals. And honestly, one of my favorite moments in the film is such a small little detail. And it's after the fire, they're both kind of like around the rub the rubbish and everything uh, from the, the fire destroying the church. And Father Fitzgibbons walks over to the fountain and he begins to like pour water back into this kind of burnt ashed fountain. And he looks at them and he's like, the birds still need water. Like this still needs to happen. And such like a, a sweet, genuine moment from him and a very like kind, honest man that you see like where his intentions are. Even in this worst time, he's not like freaking out. He's not cursing. He's just thinking about how he can still help and be a good person. So he was definitely my favorite part of the film. And while I love Bing Crosby, he's super fun and, and entertaining. It's Barry Fitzgerald that really brings the heart in the film. I yeah. Think. I, I definitely agree that, that it is Barry Fitzgerald's kind of vehicle to, to perform. And and he's he's really great. He's really engaging. He's not, you know, the typical old man you'd expect in some movies where he's grouchy. He's pretty, I would say he's pretty lucky. He's pretty happy-go-lucky at the beginning. Um, but, yeah, there's that sense of, like, I don't know, like trepidation maybe with him with, like, maybe he's, not you know he's just kind of like lives in his own world and, and lives in his own bubble so he just exists within that and so which maybe doesn't work necessarily as a to be a good priest because he's sort of involved in his community but also it's just okay with like being where he is and, and not really doing too much like he's willing to listen to his parishioners but he doesn't go that extra mile that it, it, it seems to show that O'Malley does and I don't know if that's an age thing uh, but it's certainly it's certainly he's certainly a great character. He's very funny. He does break the fourth wall a few times, which I was very confused by. I don't know, you know, I know that McCary is kind of a, a spontaneous director, so maybe, you know, Fitzgerald's looking for like a cue, you know, to something to do next. Uh but it yeah, but again, like his performance is pretty strong and, and might be stronger than Bing Crosby's in general. 
So this film earned about $16 million, and it was the highest grossing film of the year. With that in consideration, though, during the five years of World War II, this was actually the lowest box office year. And if I had to guess, I I would assume summarize that and just we're in the height of the war. The war is coming almost to a peak and an end. So maybe it's just we had less time than ever. We had less people in America to watch films. And it's not a it was it's never been a cheap thing to go to the film yeah. and go to the movies and, and to see films. So it could be kind of related to that as well. But why, why do you think this is like the biggest film of the year in terms of box office? Because it's a thing. I think it's a thing to get away from, you know, for people because of Bing Crosby. He's this, you know, ha- it's a happy, it's supposed to be a happy movie. It's yeah. supposed to be like, Oh, Bing Crosby singing. It's supposed to be comforting. I think to see all this and see like, Oh, there is some good in the world. You know, and like, oh, New York City, like you get to kind of see that. And so it appeals to a lot of probably a lot of middle middle America who's very into Bing Crosby. Sure. It appeals to the, the coast people because they're like, oh, that's New York City. Like that's the New York City life. Uh, but again, like it and it sort of is mashing up of that world because you have this mid this Midwestern character in O'Malley who's from St. Louis coming to New York. And I guess maybe. It'd be more if it was made today. There would be way more emphasis on that culture shock, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, it definitely would be way more it, out there and, and involved in that theme of it. So, yeah. It, so yeah. So it just kind of things happen, and and that I think leads to probably the resolution of the entire film, and that's how they actually save the church by singing, swinging on a star. And what's also interesting about that is that that's the song that's most popular and not going my way, which is the title, you know, of the entire movie. And that's like the biggest theme is that, oh, I'm, you know, Bing Crosby, Father O'Malley, he's just like, well, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do what I want to do in life and, and being this uh, priest and, and guiding people, but through happiness and, and love and, and all that. But then it's what but that fails for them ultimately because they don't get the money for that but then they get it on swinging on a star which is more quirky has that screwball comedy you know element to it so it's uh i so i guess maybe that's why the more popular song because that's the song that saved it but then why wouldn't you call the title of the movie swinging on a star it doesn't make much sense yeah. at all it feels like the movie might have been named this after the fact maybe but then again why wouldn't you name it swinging on a star it just doesn't really makes sense to me it feels like going my way slightly has something to do with his character i just never feel like it really directly applies to the song in the way that even our description of the plot describes it it's not really that integral he sings it kind of once and then again at the very end to kind of hopefully win over the audience there to make money for the church but yeah it's really swing on a star that kind of changes everything and you would expect just more from a title you know the title song to be represented that way you would assume that that would be the oscar winning song for best song if it's coming directly from a movie called going my way you'd expect that to be like the best song and the song that saves them right so it's confusing i don't really understand that yeah i couldn't find any like confirmation of why that was the case if maybe this was originally called swinging from a star but i'm assuming it was always called going my way and and that's another thing in this movie is there's not much out there even really about it. Like, yeah. It's just there. And I think that that's okay for a movie to just be there and to show off Bing Crosby and, and his skills and his talent. But does that make it then a compelling movie enough to be like an Oscar movie maybe for that time? But that doesn't mean like it works in the, to- in the totality of all the best picture winners. It's kind of just there a little bit. 
And I don't know. And ultimately, like that's, I guess, the biggest takeaway from it is that there's also nothing that does from a technical standpoint that really advances it. So again, so you're, you're losing out on that for what sh- a best picture should be, which is advancing something in technically for film. And then also it just doesn't really add enough of a story that's so compelling and, and, and something you can sink your teeth into just because the themes are pretty simple. Just like love, love everyone, be happy, you know, work, you know, be the best you can be in life. And that's great. And that's fine. But it doesn't like necessarily work, you know, yeah, it, it's definitely a pretty dull film in terms of even like progressing. It feels like it's regressing. It's almost going back in time the way the film is so static and there's barely any camera movements. And even when we're singing, it's just a wide shot of the characters by piano and it's just showing yeah. them of, of what's going to happen. And that could be the way McCary wants to like improvise and kind of make things up on the fly. So like one wide shot, we can like cover it all and then we don't have to worry about like any weird changes in performance because of the weird improv- improvisation that we're doing. But it's just kind of dull in terms of the way it's presented. It's got like pretty just standard, simple music. Like the music's not really standing out. The cinematography doesn't really add too much. It's just kind of showing what's happening and it's really up to the actors to kind of carry it along and, there are some really funny, quirky lines throughout the film, but nothing that's too deep and nothing that really sticks with you because it just no. seems so simple and on the surface and it doesn't really want to dive deeper into the film. And you're right, there was very little to even find online about the film, but something that we found pretty interesting was from his son, Gary Crosby, which came from a book called Going My Own Way, which is already an aggressive kind yeah. of attack against his father, but reading a quote from the book when i saw going my way i was as moved as they were by the characters he played father o'malley handled the gang of young hooligans in his parish with such kindness and wisdom that i thought he was wonderful too instead of coming down hard on the kids and withdrawing his affection he forgave them for their misdeeds took them to the ball game the picture shows and taught them how to sing by the last reel the sheer presence of his goodness has transformed even the worst of them into solid citizens then the lights came on and the movie was over all the way back to the house i thought about the difference between the person up there on the screen and the one i knew at home and after the fact while this is a very kind of attack on his father's legacy it's kind of largely disputed and seemed to be an exaggeration and he kind of later admitted after the fact that this was kind of more of a money grab to get money from the publishing of the book so it's kind of very an aggressive way, right, to have yeah. your own son, probably after his death, too, to, to kind of do this and express this. And I just found it really interesting, especially that it's, like, named almost right after yeah. the film, too. It's What What do you think about this? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I, there's so many stories about, you know, actors, actresses, performers, celebrities in general of, uh, of maybe their children not getting treated the best. So I'm not surprised that maybe his son would say that and accuse his dad of not always being there and not showing that love. So it doesn't, I, I don't know. I guess this is it bad to say it doesn't really change my perspective on Ben Crosby and his performance? Probably not. It's probably okay to just say that. But yeah, it's it's certainly, it it's it's significant to be categorized, I think, like that, that this character is, like he's persistent with his goodness, that he, he's not like annoying about it. And, and what it actually reminded me of just now is like Ted Lasso, where like people are annoyed by Ted Lasso and his goodness, but they realize that like, Oh, he's sincere. It's sincere. And, and that's kind of with O'Malley, you know, but we don't, no one's really annoyed with him. Like Fitzgibbon is like, who is this guy? Like, how am I going to deal with him? But then they, 
they bond and it all works out. Maybe there's something with Tony Scaponi and, and his gang. But then once O'Malley kind of levels with them and treats them, you know, like normal people, treats them like adults, then they're kind of like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll listen to this guy. This guy seems cool. He seems like he knows what he's doing. So it, again, it's just like such quick resolutions to things because it just happens within the scene. And there's no, like, what's the biggest, like, consistent from the start of the film to the end? Like, what's the consistent conflict? It really isn't no. a consistent yeah. conflict. No, it's just like new minor conflicts pop up and then they get solved very quickly. Yeah, like I'm, and I know I kind of mentioned that before, but like again, like that's what it just keeps coming back to is that it's so hard to talk about like scenes of significance or scenes of importance or lines of importance because none of it's really important to the film because of, like what's important is Bing Crosby's character, to, like what his character does, but that doesn't. That's just not enough. That's just not enough to like really keep a story going and, and yeah. really keep it afloat. And so, yeah, so the movie happens, you know, it's a sweet ending, I think, to the movie where, you know, they bring Fitzgibbon's uh, mom back and he gets to see her after, I think they say like 45 years. Then O'Malley gets to kind of, you know, walk away in the night. And, and it, so it's a beautiful little ending. It's a sweet movie. But is it a best picture winner? Which we'll get to. But that's like the big question about it. I, I have like my feeling about it after I watch it was just like, cool, you're there. Bing Crosby was like, great. Like he's fun to watch. Fitzgibbon is fun to watch. Like, yeah, cool. It, but that doesn't mean it's like great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't add much. And I, I guess like the main kind of center is how O'Malley and Bing Crosby changes the church and changes the kind of community a little bit. But I don't really think from the very beginning that there's too much to really like change if they kind of make it seem like he's changing and he's really changing these kids lives but it's so minor it's like the kids just like oh i want to fight it's like is this what a gang is at, at like a 12 year old's age like yeah. oh okay and now they're singing in a choir would you see them do like two or three times in the film oh, okay and that that's the big change and it really seems like they wanted it to be about O'Malley and Fitzgibbons and like how they can kind of come together and how O'Malley shows Fitzgibbons all the new things he can do. He can still be youthful while still being at an older age. And while doing this for the majority of his life, he can still learn and be better and learn and just, you know, become a better priest. But it just, it's just kind of skips around and then it jumps back to the very end. And then it's like, Oh yeah, no, this is what the main movie is about. It's about these two fathers and like you said, they kind of come together. And even the mother aspect of Fitzgibbon and having his mother being away from such a long time, it raises up questions like, why is that the case? Why does that even matter? Why wasn't this like more pressed upon throughout the entire film? So it's like a sweet, endearing ending, but it just doesn't feel as impactful as, as it should, really. Yeah, exactly. And again, like that scene where they do talk about the mother, it's a good scene, but that's one scene out of, 20 scenes that you know 19 of them just weren't great so you know i think that's ultimately like where we kind of have to leave this movie is because there's not much really that there is to research upon it there's not really much else to really comment about it just because it's like there and like you know you can go watch it you can go see bing crosby to sing but i'm not going to say like that's the best movie i've ever seen or like you know or that's a great best picture winner sure I think one thing that's interesting about the ending and interesting about the whole film is that this is the first best picture that later has a sequel the following year. And I'm not sure if that was always the case or maybe it's just how well the film did, but 
the kind of open-endingness of the film I found kind of refreshing because it's something that we haven't really seen. I mean, you could argue like going, Gone with the Wind is kind of an open-ending. You know, she's declaring one more time how she will have, you know, whatever she wants. But it's not as open-ended as this. It's kind of like a Father O'Malley is like tipping his hat. He's yeah. like, I did my job, I did my work, and I'm on to the next thing. And there's something kind of charming and endearing about I've done my work and I've done my time and then as a viewer to think like, oh, where does he go next? Like to think about like how he can change someone else's life or change some other church or community. So that's like very interesting. But then to know that it later has just a sequel the following year, it kind of yeah. feels less charming. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I keep on thinking of him like sleep, slipping away into the night, like the dark night. Type of thing. <laughs> like, the night. cops are all chasing <laughs> yeah. after him. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, I think a way maybe for us to entertain ourselves a little bit more. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's going my way. So let's get on to the 17th Academy Awards. Hello from Hollywood. This is George Fisher speaking to you from the stage of the world famous Gorman Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Where the presentation of the 17th Annual Academy Awards is already underway. The 17th Academy Awards were held on March 15, 1945 at the Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. This was the first time that the complete award ceremony was broadcast nationally on ABC Radio. Bob Hope hosted once again the 70-minute broadcast, which included film clips that required explanation for the radio audience. The tradition ended abruptly after the 1948 ceremony as a result of the Paramount Antitrust Decree, only to return gradually in the late 1960s. This was also the first year in the competition where every Best Picture nominee had at least one nominated performance, and Going My Way had 10 nominations. So before we jump into the first categories, I wanted to ask you, Ben, since we've kind of talked a little bit about clips from the Academy Awards, and this is 1945, it's the first year that they're actually bringing in clips from the film. One that's pretty impressive that they're able to do that in 1945, kind of gather up all these films, cut a reel together. It's really cool, and then be able to kind of show that in a live performance, but what do you think about them finally adding clips, and what does that kind of like clip part of the show mean to you? I love it. I love when they show clips. I think it gives everyone a good idea of what the film is about. It gives everyone a good little performance and it showcases a little bit. I, you know, we talked about that for the 93rd uh, Oscars. It was missing it. It was missing it. It just didn't feel right. You know, I, I like it to see the clips that that's one of my favorite parts about it. I know you were talking about how for best song, you really like to see all those performances, but for me, I can kind of take it or leave it with the performances. I care you know, well, actually, the one I loved was the Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga one. Of course, you did. Yeah, oh, you, so, and, you and everyone else. Yeah, Gross. it was just hot where I was when that was Gross. happening. Gross. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know, I like the clips. I think the clips are great. I think it's a great idea to to include it, and it should be used all the time for every category. We should see little clips. Yeah, it's sad that it gets taken away. We don't know too much about that. I'm sure when we get to 1948, we'll learn more and tell the audience and you guys a little bit more about that as well. But yeah, the clips are always really important to me. Growing up, it's kind of what I loved about the Academy Awards. Obviously, you get the cool speeches, you get to see everyone dressed up and the stupid jokes that they make about the film industry. 
But as someone who wasn't watching all the films, someone who was younger, who couldn't see R-rated films, which a lot of the dramas and the really emotional pictures were sometimes R-rated, and I just couldn't really see that as someone who was younger. So when they showed clips, I'd be like, oh, it's awesome. Like, I can't see this movie, but I can see this scene, and I can see why maybe that moment in this uh, actor's performance is the best moment and the clip to show. So they've always been really important to me, and I just think they're great for an audience that's not like us who's watching every Best Picture nomination and someone who's just watching the Academy Awards to see what this group, this collective Academy, thinks the best film of the year is. And that's also including films that were just nominated to see maybe if I'm interested in that. You see a clip from one particular performance or one scene where you're like, I need to go see that. And I think it generates not only more money in the film industry, it also just gets more people into film and into films that they may not otherwise watch. Academy Honorary Awards that year were given out to Bob Hope for his many services to the Academy. There's an Academy Juvenile Award given out to Margaret O'Brien. And the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award went to Daryl F. Zanuck. Best special effects goes to 30 Seconds Over Tokyo with photography effects by A. Arnold Gillespie, Donald Jaharis, and Warren Newcomb. Sound effects by Douglas Shearer. This is Gillespie's first of three wins in this category. This is Jaharis' only win and Newcomb's first of two wins. Shearer's first of two wins in special effects category as he previously won four times in the best sound category. Best film editing went to Wilson, to Barbara McLean. McLean's only win in this category, and she was actually considered one of the more prominent editors of her time. And she is at one point, she was essentially the head of 20th Century Fox editing department. She had been nominated seven total times in her career, including the 1950 Best Picture winner, All About Eve. And in this category as well is Going My Way to Leroy Stone, which I guess like for the popularity, like that's why it's there. But Again, like I don't think it's like a well-edited film. It's pretty simplistic. Best Cinematography Color goes to Leon Shamroy for Wilson. This is his second win of four in this category, tied for the most ever, actually. And he previously won for Black Swan 1942. And this film is Shine Technicolor and directed by Henry King. Best Cinematography Black and White went to Laura for Joseph Lachelle. It's Lachelle's only win out of his nine nominations, and he was nominated for his work, and he was also nominated for his work on the Best Picture winners, Marty and The Apartment, two films that I love the cinematography in. Best Art Direction in Color goes to Wilson. Art Direction by Weird Innan. Interior Decoration by Thomas Little. This is the fourth consecutive episode that Thomas Little has won, fifth out of six Academy Awards in this category. This is Inan's first of two Academy Awards. He was also married to the eight-time Academy Award winner, designer Edith Head. Best Art Direction, Black and White, went to Gaslight. Art Direction by Cedric Gibbons and William Ferrari. Interior Direction by Paul Holchinski and Edwin B. Willis. This is Gibbons' fifth of 11 total Oscars. Ferrari Holchinski's only Oscar win, and it's Willis' second of eight total Oscar wins. Best Sound Recording goes to... Edmund H. Hansen for Wilson. This is Hansen's second Oscar win after winning for special effects for the 1940 film The Rains Came. Best song went to Swinging on a Star from Going My Way, music by James Van Heusen, lyrics by Johnny Burke. This is Van Heusen's first of four Oscars wins in the best song category and it's Burke's only win. 
In 2004, the song Swinging on Away finished at number 37 in AFI's 100 Years 100 Song Survey of the Top Tunes in American Cinema. Songwriter Jimmy Van Houston said he was at Crosby's house uh, one evening for dinner and to discuss a song for the film project, which became Going My Way. During the meal, one of the children began complaining about how he did not want to go to school the next day. The singer turned to his son, Gary, and said to him, if you don't go to school, you might grow up to be a mule. Van Heusen thought this was a clever rebuke and it would make a good song for the film. He pictured Crosby, who played a priest, talking to a group of children, acting much the same way as his own child had been acting that night. Van Heusen took the idea to his partner, lyricist Johnny Burke, who approved. They wrote the song and it became the Oscar-winning song of that year. It's also included in the Grammy Hall of Fame, which is the first time I've come across that, that a song is in the Grammy Hall of Fame from a movie. And again, we mentioned before, it's the first of five best songs to also accompany best picture win and those were Gigi from Gigi my heart will go on from titanic into the west from lord of the rings return of the king and jai ho from slumdog millionaire we also have just haven't talked about how just charming the song is the it song is a is, charming song it's really sweet it's such a catchy little riff and it's got so much just charisma pouring out of it and it's yeah. a little screwball-y kind of a song, too. Yeah, definitely. It's a little cheeky. It's it's fun and charming, and I think it could work in so many different musicals, and I think it's pretty iconic for his time. Yeah, but so do you think, though, that it's like this great American cinema song? Because I think like it's a cool song, and like it serves the purpose for the story of the film, but I don't think it's like, oh, my God, this is an amazing song. And especially to be... I would imagine the AFI's top 100 songs. I probably should look this up, but it has to be like over the rainbow, right? So you're saying that, that one of them, yeah, top five. Probably. Yeah. So so are you, so you're saying that there there's a 30 spot difference between those two songs. And when I listen to those songs, it sounds like there's a thousand spot difference. Yeah, maybe. I I feel like it it summarizes like this kind of age with the rising star and just this kind of classic charm and this. We're gone beyond vaudeville and we're now into the true Hollywood era where you can really like shine and dance and sing. And it's about kind of it's a meta song kind of about Hollywood and stars, but it's also could be related to really anything. So I feel like it has that kind of charm and that kind of theme where you could really just anyone could kind of relate to it in a way. So I think that's why it's kind of gone on and and is still remembered today. Best scoring of a musical picture goes to Morris Stoloff in Carmen Dragon for Cover Girl. Cover Girl is a Gene Kelly and Reed Hayworth starring film. This is Stoloff's first of three Oscar wins. He was notably he notably worked with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. And this is Dragon's only Oscar win. Best scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture went to Since You Went Away to Max Steiner. Uh, this is a Selznick-produced film about the American home front during World War II, which starred Claudette Colbert, Jennifer Jones, and Shirley Temple. Uh, this is Steiner's third and final Oscar win of his career. We had talked previously about him extensively in past episodes for Gone with the Wind and Casablanca, and he's also well-known for King Kong and The Searchers. And in this category, there is no scoring for Going My Way, which is, you know, I think it's a little bizarre so because it's not in the musical category. So the Academy is saying this is not a musical film, but also it's not in the drama or comedy picture categories. So they're saying it's not a drama or a comedy, or at least it's not good enough to be in either one. So I find that to be very odd, especially when 
you're showing off Bing Crosby. You're showing off, you know, his his beautiful singing voice, and yet the the score of the film doesn't actually isn't compelling enough to actually win or actually even be nominated. Best live action short subject to real goes to Gordon Hollingshead for I Won't Play. Best live action short subject one real went to Who's Who in Animal Land to Jerry Fairbanks. This is Jerry Fairbanks' first of two Oscar wins in the category, and he's better remembered for being an originator of the multi-camera studio technique for television. And while everyone credits that more to I Love Lucy, it was actually Fairbanks who's the first to use it. The difference is that I Love I Love Lucy used 35mm film instead of the 16mm that Fairbanks was using. Best documentary short subject goes to With the Marines at Tarawa, the United States Marine Corps. With the Marines at Tarawa uses authentic footage taken directly from the Battle of Tarawa to tell the story of the American servicemen from the time they get the news and to when they participate in the invasion of taking the island and raising the stars and stripes. President Franklin Roosevelt had to give special permission for this film to be shown due to its gruesome and violent nature that had not been seen before in popular films. Best documentary feature went to The Fighting Lady to the United States Navy. Best short subjects cartoons goes to Mouse Trouble, Fred Quimby. Another one. This is another Tom and Jerry winning short and the second consecutive Oscar win after winning previously for the Yankee Doodle Mouse in 1943. Yes, the best, the best cartoon ever, in my opinion, Tom and Jerry. Scooby-Doo. That's for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> best original motion picture story goes to Going My Way to Leo McCary. Uh, this is one of only two Best Picture winners to win this category, the other being The Greatest Show on Earth. And we talked about this story, I think, pretty extensively. I think we agree that it's just not a great story. The story structure is kind of all over the place. You have a very odd choice to make him priest, but then it boxes you into a certain thing. It's very vignette-like, so things just happen. They don't really interconnect. And again, like I just don't like this category of motion of original motion picture story because then you also have the two screenplay categories. And ultimately, we'll go on to the next category, best screenplay, and you'll understand why. Best screenplay goes to Frank Butler and Frank Cavett based on the story by Leo McCary, Going My Way. So how can this be an adapted screenplay if it's based on an original motion picture story, Ben? That's my question, John, is like, how can this be an adapted... like? That's the precursor. This category, best screenplay, because there's a best original screenplay and best screenplay and best original motion picture story. And Go In My Way won for best screenplays, and it's based on the adapted work of an original motion picture story. So what's the difference between original motion picture stories and original screenplay? Is it just, hey, like I found this pitch, like the, like this is like my five you know paragraph summary or five line summary, whatever you want to say of it. And, you know, here you go, go adapt it. Like, I I probably have like 10 of those sitting in my Google Drive right now that are <laughs> Oscar worthy that are just like, oh, that's a great motion picture story. But it's kind of bullshit because that's not how it should work. No, it's kind of hard to find an, an exact like definition of what a best original motion picture story. But, you know, looking at other categories, we have to mention Lifeboat, which is a book written by John Steinbeck, which is then later adapted uh, this year or for this Academy Award by Alfred Hitchcock. So one that is uh, supposed to be a great film that's on my list of Hitchcock to watch. And I've heard it's it's really phenomenal and great. But to me, this category seems like it's more 
what is a best and original story that we haven't seen in film? Like what we haven't seen in the film industry, what is something that's original? And now it may be like Lifeboat or something else that's based on a book, but is it original to film and cinema? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to put it. Like what what is it original to? But it's still, I don't know. I, I But that's a whole other conversation for itself, you know, because like I'm sure there's some movie out there that, could match a similar tone or story idea to going my way. So, you know, what makes it original? You know, what really works? And even like the other movie I mentioned that one best original story that was the best picture picture winner, the greatest show on earth. Like you'll see like it's, that's not like an uncommon story idea that is like kind of tackled into the film. Maybe it's more because it's a circus is the background of it. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but it just doesn't really like work for me. It doesn't really make sense of how they categorize these movies, how they ultimately won and, and how it works. Like if it would be one thing, if it was like a best original screenplay win, but we're told that like, this is a best adapted screenplay based on original story. And I, it just doesn't like it, it, it really just confuses me. And maybe I'm just like, I care too much about it. And I should just like, let it go. But I think that's, I think just think it's a very bothersome thing just to have, uh, as part of the Oscar history that you don't have these like really clear lines and clear distinctions about it. Best original screenplay goes to Wilson to Lamar Trotty. Uh, this is the first and only win out of three nominations for Trotty. And I wanted to hold off a little bit more about Wilson because this is the last win that's going to have. It was very successful in the night winning a bunch of technical categories, but the movie was a box office bomb. So Wilson, it was critically acclaimed had the 10 nominations, blah, 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 blah winning five, and yet it lost a reported $2 million for Fox. And it was Zanuck who was the producer for it. And he won the Irving Thalberg award for that year. So, so to you, like what, what does that mean to you when you all of a sudden you see that this movie, which was a box office bomb, but yet it gets all these nominations and all these wins. And the guy who produced it is Zanuck who did not want people to talk about this film to his face that he did not want to be, even hear about it because he was so ashamed or he didn't like how it finally came out. Well, I wonder if that's more so about the way the audience perceived it and less about the actual film. It's hard to say without seeing it, but it's a technicolor film. So that I love just that aspect of it without seeing a single frame. It is hard to understand. Maybe it was just so technically impressive that they could even pull it off or uh, do what they did, even though it may not have been a final complete package. It, it could have been quite impressive what they actually showed and, Side note, we should make like a podcast just all about Technicolor film. About all about Technicolor That's film. That's got to be a thing. Right? It's got to be. <laughs> it's got to be a thing. But and another thing to add to that is like, this is like when Suicide Squad won an Oscar. It, best it, makeup, boy. Yeah, but be- okay. But <laughs> is that really the best makeup of the year? Uh, have you seen uh, Croc in that movie? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, maybe. But then why not just pick a Marvel movie then every year to win? Because Marvel movies have great makeup in it. But they never pick that. Do they though? Do they have great makeup though? I would say Marvel movies I feel are like pretty. They good. just don't use makeup. It's all CGI. Like, I don't. But I would. I'm say, trying to think of a single Marvel character where you're like, that's great use of makeup. Uh, I just can't think of any. Honestly, like Yondu's. He, that's pretty good makeup. Like that. Yeah, that's true. I guess Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, Guardians would be of the like Galaxy. The best yeah, Marvel that's, that's pretty good makeup. I mean, I don't know. Black Panther had great makeup and just design in general. That movie. More so, just like costume. And hair, but yeah, yeah, but the idea just being that like okay, like you have this movie that like a suicide squad where people didn't like it, but yet it's still getting recognized by the, by the Academy. What does that mean? And then you still have the best picture winner that doesn't have any technical merit to it, but yet it's the one that wins. So it's very confusing. And, and I just, 
It makes me so mad. <laughs> Best Supporting Actress goes to Ethel Barrymore for None But the Lonely Heart as Ma Mott. This is the sister of John and Lionel Barrymore, and she's the great aunt of Drew Barrymore. Ethel Barrymore won her only Oscar at this year's award in 1945. Barrymore, along with friend Marie Dressler, was a strong supporter of the Actors' Equity Association and had a high-profile role in the 1919 strike. The AEA came to be to allow performers to have bigger share in the profits of stage productions and to provide benefits to elderly leaders. So we just want to mention Ethel Barrymore's stride to kind of help improve the industry and especially help the industry for women and the elderly. Best Supporting Actor went to Barry Fitzgerald for Going My Way as Father Fitzgibbon. So Fitzgerald, he was nominated for both the Academy Award for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor for the same performance for the film Going My Way, which is the only time that has ever happened and will ever happen. They changed the rule immediately following this year because it was kind of like what the hell is going on but like you have an al pacino who was nominated for best supporting actor and best actor for his role as michael corleone but those were for two separate films respectively and so that's why like that can kind of get away with it but you can't have a best supporting actor and best actor nomination for the same performance in the same role so this is fitzgerald's only win out of his, out of his uh, in his career, and due to wartime uh, medal shortages during this time, all the uh, winners received plaster Oscars instead of the gold-plated Britannium ones. And so Fitzgerald was an avid golfer himself, and he swung uh, the head of the Oscar off while he was practicing his golf swing. Best actress goes to Ingrid Bergman for Gaslight as Paula Alquist Anton. This is the first of three Academy Awards for Bergman. She won Best Actress for Anastasia in 1956 and Best Supporting Actress for Murder on the Orient Express in 1974. Ingrid Bergman is tied for second place of Oscars won in total, along with Walter Brennan, Jack Nicholson, Meryl Streep, and Frances McDormand, and Daniel Day-Lewis. Katherine Hepburn still holds the record for four, all being Best Actresses. It's hard to pinpoint Bergman's career. She's one of the most prolific actresses in early Hollywood or classic Hollywood, and her filmography spans from Hitchcock to Cacor to Curtis and beyond. Best Actor went to Bing Crosby for Going My Way as Father Chuck O'Malley. This is the first time two performers won Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor for the same film. This is the first of three occurrences for a Best Picture winner to have both the Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. The other two were the best years of our lives and Ben-Hur. And so, John, I want to ask you that because it's happened five total times, we know three of them. What were the other two times where a movie won Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor? There will be Blood, Daniel Day-Lewis, and... Nope. Damn. I'll definitely say they're all in the 2000s, so you don't have to worry about anything before 2000. I don't know. What is it? So one of them is Mystic River for Sean Penn and Tim Robbins, and the other one is Dallas Buyers Club for Matthew McConaughey. Damn. And uh, Jared Leto. Yeah, so it's kind of, you would think that they would happen more where a best actor and best supporting actor would happen. I just feel like that's a very common thing, but maybe it's not. Maybe we're just telling ourselves that. It's like the, what's that called? The Mandela effect. Or, yeah, we're but just, maybe not exactly yeah. Mandela effect. <laughs> a little bit different. A little but. bit different, but just like that, I, like, I just feel like it, it would happen more. So when I found out that it was only five, I was like, whoa, that's kind of. It uh, is not very common, right? Yeah, so it's not very common out of 93 ceremonies. So. Anyways, Crosby, he was nominated for its sequel for The Bells of St. Mary's, the sequel of Going My Way, which actually starred Ingrid Bergman in it. 
So they became the first of six actors to be nominated twice for playing the same character. And a little cool fun fact about Bing Crosby's Oscar is that it's sitting in the Gonzaga University on their campus because that's where Bing Crosby grew up. He grew up literally on Gonzaga's campus, and that's where his Oscar sits currently. Best Director goes to Leo McCary for Going My Way. McCary has a widespread career, uh, but he kind of is rooted in silent films. He's kind of known for drastically altering story ideas, you know, doing bits of business and dialogue and quickly changing the script with the studio and the actors. He would usually sit at a piano, doodle, and sometimes exasperated crew waiting for inspiration about a scene. As Bing Crosby once said about Going My Way, probably 75% of each day's shooting was made up on set by Leo. While this technique was responsible for creating some awkward moments, rough edges on the finished work, many of McCary's scenes felt a little fresh and spontaneous, which was kind of lacking in the typical mainstream Hollywood cinema. McCary started with mostly screwball comedies like Duck, Duck Soup and The Awful Truth, which the latter he won for Best Director in 1937. He moved to more conservative theme films in the 40s, attributed to his Catholic beliefs. He was also very outspoken during Hollywood's Red Scare against communism and spoke out during the Hollywood hearings of communism in the industry. Yeah, I think that that his style of filmmaking that, you know, we're just going to kind of do on the fly, like let me find inspiration on the set itself, kind of leads to ultimately like what is the failing point about going my way is that there's nothing technically great about it. You can kind of tell that like, you know, like, okay, like, what are we sort of doing in this scene? Okay, we're going to sort of do this, and it's going to kind of just be loose like this. And then it just feels like, okay, like, Bing, you're going to sing at some point, and then we're going to get Fitzgibbon to come in and kind of help to wrap up the scene. It, re- uh, it really makes you think about the script itself, not being able to really see the original version, but thinking about, like, maybe this is a lot more tighter, consistent film, and maybe it's a lot about the father's relationship and how it's maybe a lot better script and story on page than it is on the actual film because that interconnectivity that you should have with films from scene to scene is kind of lost because of his style. And now for the best picture category, the nominees are Wilson, Since You Went Away, Gaslight, Double Indemnity, and the winner of the 1944 Oscar for Best Picture is Going My Way, going to Leo McCary for Paramount. This is the second time someone has won as the producer and director of a film to win Best Picture, and Frank Capra was the one to accomplish that feat previously for You Can't Take It With You in 1938. So, John, before we give answer that age-old question, let's jump into some stats about Going My Way. Going My Way holds a Rotten Tomatoes percentage of 83%. The average Rotten Tomatoes rating is a 7.03 out of 10. The Rotten Tomatoes top critic percentage is a 71 with an average rating of 5 out of 10. And then the audience score is a 75% with an average rating of 3.8 out of 5. And IMDb, it holds a 7.1. It won seven Oscars out of 10 total nominations. So, John, what would you rate Going My Way? I gave Going My Way a flat 70, kind of right in the lower to upper middle range that I have. You know, in comparison, a lower film like Miss Miniver a couple years ago was rated a 60, and The Life of Emile Zola in 37 is a 55. So, kind of in between that range, and Mutiny on the Bounty, I have it a 65. So, it's it's a film that's it's enjoyable to watch, but I think it just doesn't show what should be a best picture. It doesn't, you know, advance any kind of techniques or kind of improve upon what we've seen in cinema at this point. And I feel like the story is lacking that kind of oomph and 
really punch at the very end. Yeah, I actually gave this film a 70 as well, so we're matching up on our ratings right there. And pretty much I, I agree with all of those criticisms. It The story is kind of all over the place. They had a good idea to make it about priests, but then the story structure just kind of lacks and it falls into that vignette storytelling. It doesn't do anything technically great. There's We didn't really talk about any of the cinematography just because there's really nothing about the cinematography that's great. It's just an okay movie. Like If you wanted to watch this with your family maybe around Christmas time, I, sure, Like I think this is probably a fine family movie, but I don't think it's a Best Picture winner. And then when you look at the 93 and counting movies to win Best Picture, this one just sticks out as like, why are you here? Like you're okay, but you're nothing great, which is ultimately why I gave it a 70. Cause I, I kind of do want my best picture winners to at least be like an 85 or above. Like to me, like an 85 or above her best picture winner is pretty good. Like that's a pretty good movie. And I think that's probably a lot to sink your teeth into, but a 70 to me is like, you aren't like, you just don't do enough where this feels like a, an okay movie. Like it's pretty average. I think it's just like a pretty average score which honestly matches our averages for in total. So for you right now, you have a 68.1 and I have a 74.1 average rating. But that's also because we had some shittier movies early on that are dropping down our scores, but those scores should go up as time goes on. So John, let's answer that question. Is going my way worthy of the best picture award of 1944? No, 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 no. No. <laughs> no, it's not worthy. I think that's pretty obvious. I think I almost let it slip like a half hour ago <laughs> in the conversation of just like this just movie. It's not great. You're like you're you're just there. Um, I think we've kind of, you know, being the dead horse <laughs> a little bit about like why we just don't like this film. Well, I shouldn't say why we don't like it. Why we just why we just don't think it's worthy as a exactly, best picture winner. Yeah. It answers like I think it answers it perfectly like this movie is just there. It's not worthy. I guess I can understand why it was picked, but I guess also it wasn't probably a strong year of movies just in general, just because of the war and, and how that was affecting everything. So is there any last minute thoughts or ideas you want to hit on with uh, going my way, John? And I think when you compare it to some of the other films, I haven't seen any of them, but I've heard great things about double indemnity and gaslight and even Wilson. I've heard great things and we've seen a lot of nominations for it technically. So it's hard to really kind of vouch for going my way other than being an enjoyable little picture, but nothing kind of blowing you out of the water and nothing that's really pushing us forward. And if you like Bing Crosby, that's would be my recommend recommendation. You know, yeah. check it out if you like Bing Crosby and you like his style and you just like to see him, you know, bring bring a scene to life. But beyond that, don't think it's worthy. Yeah, I think also when you point to like a movie like Wilson that was also nominated this year, but it was a box office bomb kind of points to like maybe this year wasn't the best year of movies. Um, so that's that for this episode of Worthy. Again, please like and subscribe us on any of your podcast listening platforms. We love hearing any kind of feedback. Please write in. We love hearing what your thoughts are. We would love to incorporate that more and more into these episodes and just kind of say, you know, make it more involved with our audience because we really do appreciate and love everyone who, who listens. So I'm Ben. And I'm John. And, and this, this is worthy. worthy. Would you like to swing on a star? Carry moonbeams home in a jar. And be better off than you are. Or would you rather be a mule? A mule is an animal with long funny ears. Kicks up at anything he hears. His back is brawny, but his brain is weak. 
He's just plain stupid with a stubborn streak. And by the way, if you hate to go to school, you may grow up to be a mule. Or would you like to swing on a star? Carry moonbeams home in a jar. And be better off than you are, Rudy. Or would you rather be a pig? Thanks for listening to Worthy, the breakdown of every Best Picture winner from past to present. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Worthy Podcast, on Twitter at Worthy Pod, and on Facebook at Worthy Podcast. Any inquiries can be submitted to worthysubmissions at gmail.com. That's worthysubmissions at gmail.com.